in rugby, we'll talk to Stephen Ferris about URC fixture changes and review the Champions Cup action, including an ugly win for Munster. Uh, I don't know whether it was a kind of a hangover after the brilliant performance last week. They did have a lot of players who hadn't played for a long time. And, uh, you know, you can sense the deflationary effort here because uh, Munster well short of their best. I think they'll be happy to just get the four points and forget about it. In racing, Ruby will set us up for the festive schedule and Leopardstown's manager will tell us how they've solved their ticket conundrum. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn on 2FM. Welcome back, Marie. Thanks very much. I was here on Friday, I think. can't remember. You think? <laughs> oh, the life you lead now. So busy, you know. Busy, busy. Yeah. It was, uh, I always ask you, Ruby, at the start on a Monday, did you have a good weekend? Were you watching much racing? But this weekend, I mean, I am genuinely care about racing because of Rachel Blackmore. <laughs> pretending to be nice to you, I actually am interested because she just had the most phenomenal weekend winning awards left, right and centre. She won the Irish Times one on Friday, then she won the RTE one on Saturday and then she won the BBC World Sports Star on Sunday, I think it was. Unbelievable. You genuinely care about one jockey, I'd say, because I doubt you watched too much of Thurless yesterday afternoon. Well, I did say she's my favourite. <laughs> yeah, no, it was incredible. Um, and Stan deserves, Marie, I, I think, anyway. Look, obviously, I'm biased being a racing man, um, but I think it was. I mean, everything Rachel Blackmore did this season, this year, was a first. And um, she has done things that no other woman has ever done before. And I think for, for that alone, she deserved every accolade that she's after receiving. She's not that young, okay? So she's not like she's 21 or 22. And we always well, say... Well, I'd oh, say the next time we interview her now, you can call her old. <laughs> well, we, see, we, we, we often ask, you know, what's the potential here? Like, well, how much more is in a person? How far can they go? Like, does she have the potential to be better than you, Ruby? Does she have the potential, possibly? Does she have the time? I I doubt it. Um, she's 32. Um, but look, it's like everything, Marie. You start and you chase a dream, and then when you get there, you realise with that then comes expectation. And next year, life would be a little different for Rachel Blackmore because there will be expectation. She will be expected to deliver now, um, whereas that probably wasn't there in the past. And with that comes a whole new set of pressures and a different life. But um, no one can ever take away from her what she's achieved. And I think, yeah, I know she has the talent and belief to live up to expectation. So you know, obviously, an awful lot more than the regular person watching racing so what's changed from her just purely from the horses that she's riding like what can we expect to see different for Rachel Blackmore in 2022 
like, like everything, look, she's she's part of a powerful yard, and I thought, think Joanne Cantwell asked her some great questions about her relationship with Henry de Bromhead at the weekend, and that is a huge part. I was very lucky all my career. I wrote for Paul Nichols and Willie Mullins, and then I wrote for Willie Mullins on his own. But uh, it's like being part of a, a really good soccer team. Uh, Matt Letizia was a brilliant footballer, but he played for Southampton. He never won too much, but it doesn't mean he wasn't a brilliant footballer. Um, you know, and Rachel has gotten the opportunity to ride good horses because of her association with Henry de Bromhead. Now, what the bit of luck she needs is that Henry and those that buy the horses for him and the owners that give Henry the money keep buying good horses because it doesn't matter how good a jockey you are if you're not riding the best horses or close to the best horses, you can't win. So she does need that bit of luck. I was fortunate in that sense. Um, but she also has now has the reputation whereby she will get offered the rides on good horses. If there's a, a good spare ride going, Rachel Blackmore's name would be to the top of the list. And that will keep you ticking along for, for some bit anyway. But the expectation, every ride will be more scrutinised, um, especially the feats. And a lot of the time when you're losing racing, you did nothing wrong. But people will start scrutinising that now. Alan Cawley is with us here in studio. So Alan, do you think that Rachel's going to be better than Ruby? <laughs> well I don't want to give him a big head and I told him before but Ruby was always my favourite and he was obviously the best but Rachel we spoke about this a few weeks back and I would echo everything that, Rach, that Ruby has said about her and you know I'm mad about her Marie but the thing I love about her more is how she handles it all and the humility that she shows throughout and obviously this weekend she would have been come to people's major prominence again over the weekend because of the awards but I think it's the way she conducts herself as well in terms of being an ambassador for the sport and racing has been made probably headlines that it doesn't want to make in recent times as well but I think she's been absolutely outstanding for the sport as well but in terms of women and obviously where it's at now with women's sport and the opportunities for young girls I think she's way out on her own I really do Marie and I know that that might sound a bit harsh in terms of the Katie Taylor and Kelly Harrington and all the other girls that are doing brilliant things but I just think what she's doing is absolutely incredible because of the level that she's doing it at and when you think of Gold Cups and Grand Nationals and Cheltenham Festivals and doing it all and carrying it all in her stride I just think she's absolutely phenomenal and I opened up a little bit of can of worms when I said a few months ago or a few weeks ago that um, I think she's our best female sports person. I think she could actually, and she has the potential to be the, the greatest ever female sports person that we've had. And I know these debates rage and different people have opinions on it and it's great for pub talk and pub chat, but I think she's absolutely phenomenal. I also thought it was it was a testimony to her to see the effort that she made to get to Manchester last night. I mean, she was riding in Thurles yesterday afternoon, um, got to Dublin Airport for a 5.15 flight, which was delayed because of the fog, and they had the interviewer from Manchester Airport. But she wanted to be there. She made the effort to get there, and that's to be commended to. Agree and look forward to 2022 to see if she can go even higher. Um, no doubt she will definitely be on our lips come this time next year again when we are talking about awards. But we are do going you think, to before we go any further, do you think she'll still talk to us on game one? Yeah, I think so. I, because you're here though. Like, I think that she would have great respect for you and I'm sure that even though you wouldn't tell me, you've probably guided her a little bit along the way and given her little bits of tips and, and advice and I'd say she'd always, uh, she'd always do you a turn, Ruby. I was only slagging Marie. Ruby, how... I'm telling I tell you, if she... If she, if she exactly, but I was only slagging her if she doesn't. I tell you one thing. Because Ruby, um, she comes across obviously so humble and, and seems shy in terms of the media stuff, how has all this attention kind of 
not changed her, but how does she feel about it all at the moment? Um, I, she, she wouldn't let you know. Um, Rachel is quite quiet. Like she, She'll be in Willie Mullins in the morning, but she won't be any different a person that was there last Tuesday morning before she won any, any of those awards. And I think that's the great part about her. Um, Rachel is not vocal or, or loud. And... Yeah, she. You, I don't really know. All is the honest question. It doesn't to, to watch the same woman walking around the races or walking around Willie Mullins's yard. It's the very same person that was there twenty four months ago. To tell you the truth. And in terms of Ruby, we spoke there. Obviously, Marie asked about the potential, and you said that she's thirty two now. How much of this is? Because I presume there's a huge amount of work has gone in to get to the level that she's at, obviously. But how much of this is a natural gift? Like, obviously, you were very naturally gifted, but of course, there's huge practice and hours that goes into it. In terms of Rachel, like, is she still practicing as hard as ever, or how much of this is a natural gift that she's had? Both. You obviously can't be as good as Rachel Blackmore is without talent. And then it's what you make of the talent you're given, and she's making the very most of it. But there's a mix of both, and work is definitely one thing she is not afraid of. Yeah, you can tell that. And I've interviewed her a few times now in the, in the last year, and, you know, we talk about the women's sport, and... I love the way she does, doesn't think about it that much. You know, she's aware of it, but when she does something extraordinary, she's not thinking, I've just done this and I'm a woman. She's thinking that I've done this and, you know, I'm a jockey and that's the way she looks at it. But at the same time, she's still aware that an awful lot of women have done a lot of things over the last number of decades so that she could do what she does as well, which is get on horses and be treated the same as everybody else. And, and she's very aware of that as well. Okay, we are going to turn our attention to football now and we are going to return to COVID. So um, it's not going away. We know that. Uh, We were a little bit worried on Friday about what was going to happen over the weekend with the Premier League. Lots of games were cancelled and there was a huge amount of build up to the meeting that was been held today uh, with the Premier League clubs about what to do over the Christmas period because of COVID-19 and it has turned out that the Premier League's decided against any suspension of the season um, so they are going to continue as are and with more on this we are joined now by RT soccer correspondent Tony O'Donoghue. Tony. How are you doing, Marie? How are things? Good. Good to hear from you. And you as well, yeah. Um, Should we be surprised at this? No. Uh, You know, the turkeys uh, don't vote for Christmas, but clubs don't vote to to change the status quo, which might affect their financial um, balance sheet at the end of the day, because the prospect of having to give some money back to broadcasters, I think, uh, was uppermost in the minds of uh, Premier League chairman. The meeting was called, following the concern uh, over the number of games that were postponed recently, like we had, I think six of the the, the ten in the Premier League this weekend were lost to COVID, so a lot of managers have have asked for a, a break in fixtures uh, you know, Thomas Tuchel was saying it this weekend. You know, they've barely had enough uh, players to, despite all their riches, uh, to, to fill a bench. Uh, and, and the number of games that players are expected to play, I, it doesn't matter how much money they earn. That is, is not the point. I, I don't think uh, Ruby would put his horses through this. You know what I mean? It is, it is uh, incredible. When you look at the Carabao Cup fixtures, along with the busiest time of the year, the Christmas fixture, that's the traditional time in, in Britain in particular. It, it goes back a long long time where Boxing Day was such a big uh, a big football day and then two days later they were expected to play again and then three days later expected to, to play again and so despite all those concerns the majority of clubs 
back the league position, rejected the idea of a, a circuit breaker. Uh, Thomas Frank had, had mentioned that, uh, that they could have, you know, some sort of a break to stop the spread of infection because it's getting, you know, you know it's increasing exponentially. Uh, clubs have been advised if they have 13 fit players, which you heard this before, and a goalkeeper, they have to fulfil their fixtures. Now, they've been talking about enhanced safety measures and encouraging vaccination among players. The 68% rate of vaccination among Premier League players was the lowest among the top leagues in, in Europe. Now, I've just heard a short time ago that that's moved up to 77%, which I think is going in the right direction. But an awful lot of Premier League players, we know it ourselves, uh, have been fearful for whatever reason, be it uh, medical or, or ideological, uh, of, of uh, taking the vaccine. But that uh, 68% has risen to 77%, and I think the clubs are encouraging their players now. But last week, uh, 42 uh, Premier League players returned positive COVID-19 tests in a seven-day period. That's the highest number since the start of the pandemic. So, you know, it's, it, those figures are only going one way. Uh, what's maybe encouraging in, t- in terms of uh, the workload on footballers, the FA are going to scrap replays for the FA Cup round three and four. Um, but really something much more significant, much more uh, basic would have to be done if they're going to look at this fixture list. And it's, you know, the, the, the clubs have too much of a financial vested interest to consider the welfare of the players because, you know, they are flogging almost dead horses. I'm delighted to say that Rob Harris joins us on the line as well. Rob, it, it appeared that Liverpool and Arsenal were the two most vocal teams against or looking for a break in the Premier League. Is that the case? Well, obviously, we heard mentioned there, Brentford, they were hoping to one. Jurgen Klopp yesterday said after the two-all draw at Spurs that if there was to be a break, he would support one. Uh, you think, actually, Liverpool might be uh, resistant to one, given the fact they are about to lose uh, the key players to the African Cup of Nations in, uh, what, a couple of weeks' time or so, unless that tournament doesn't go ahead. So, you know, that would be a blow, of course, uh, Arsenal impacted too. But, um, yeah, the, you know, this desire for a, a fire break, a pause in the season, it was hard to see actually what form it would take because actually, unless the players themselves then all went into a complete bubble and isolated from their own families, it wouldn't actually remove the risk of them contracting COVID-19 and then uh, mixing back with their squads again in a week or so. And, of course, players do have to stay match fit anyway. So even if there weren't any fixtures, Surely they'd be staying in training still to some degree as well. So it was a, not exactly a, a well-thought-out plan, I would say, for actually a pause. Uh, and the Premier League has shown over the weekend that they have managed to get four fixtures away. Obviously, uh, quite separate to that is the issue of uh, the uh, health and safety of fans with full stadiums still. As you know, obviously, watching uh, in Ireland and seeing how uh, the attendances have been reduced there by the government. Are there concerns that they are going to reduce the, the, the attendances to games, Rob? Well, that really does fit into the wider British government planning. Currently, they are on the Plan B, which is still only around general uh, mask wearing and testing around at the moment. There's no sense of yet when they're going to or if they do move into further restrictions. So, you know, the fact is Boris Johnson, his own political weaknesses could have well a knock-on effect for the uh, you know for sport as well in terms of you know, whether there's any sense of restrictions being brought in and uh, wider political considerations coming into play and uh, over how viable that is and also issues over whether there'd be uh, compliance given the uh, 
uh, you know, the scrutiny over the government's own actions during past lockdowns here. So at the moment, there's nothing that points towards a reduction in capacities, but we know things can move at quite a pace as more information comes through on Omicron, which we've only known about, obviously, for about three weeks or so as a variant, the, the pace of things can change pretty quickly. What could be quite significant is the impact of the spiking cases here on things like the National Health Service and the police forces. And we're already hearing of significantly depleted numbers in the health service uh, who've contracted coronavirus and are isolating. And the question is, does it become a point where there aren't the resources to be able to commit to sports events which are needed to ensure that they can go ahead and maybe something like that is the thing that actually ultimately prevents fans from being able to attend. Maybe it'll come to health and safety. Rob, were you surprised that the Carabao Cup games are still going ahead tomorrow and Wednesday? Did you think that they might get pushed? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's very much a case-by-case basis on the squad. Tottenham, for instance, playing West Ham. Tottenham did manage to obviously play Liverpool yesterday with a... Uh, you know, pretty strong squads. They've got players uh, coming back from infection. I, I think one of the issues still in the Carabao Cup is the fact they are playing these two-legged semi-finals in January when there is a pressure on the calendar to just make up some of these games lost. And we have had the FA announce that the FA Cup replays in the third and fourth rounds will no longer take place. There will be no replays for the rest of this season in the FA Cup, which also helps to avoid any additional pressure on the fixture calendar and, and have the need to put more fixtures in when they've got to uh, recover games that have been lost, uh, particularly Tottenham, we mentioned them, who've uh, before today had, had had their uh, previous games cancelled both in midweek and the previous weekend uh, too, as well as, uh, you know, they, they couldn't play a game at Burnley due to the snow there a few weeks ago, so they've still got three games in hand to catch up. And Rob, just before we finish up with you, uh, you did tweet, Antonio Donoghue mentioned as well, that the vaccination rate has increased to 77% of players. Is it, does it seem like there's a trend now, maybe because of the fact that some of the high-profile managers are coming out and calling for vaccinations and saying that their transfer, um, their transfers might be affected by vaccination status? Is there a trend now moving towards vac- more vaccinated players, do you think? Well, it's certainly up from the two-thirds when we last got the data two months ago. What will be a concern is still 16% of players have not received any jab uh, at all. Um, We know that 92% of players and staff have received either one, two or three uh, jabs. So that that obviously tells us at least 92% of staff and players have uh, had one jab. But yeah, that 16% number will be a uh, a concern. Uh, The fact it's obviously quite a high you know, 16% of um, high number of Premier League players who at the moment haven't been jabbed at all. So now we'll start to see, will the messages from the likes of Jurgen Klopp take effect? Will they start to listen? There's been a real issue of disinformation spreading around about uh, vaccines and, and, and the potential effects and side effects, which obviously, as we know, as the, as, as the testing has shown, they are uh, safe. They're very rare, rare uh, uh, examples of uh, extreme reactions. Okay, Rob Harris, global sports correspondent with Associated Press. Thank you so much for joining us. Tony O'Donoghue is still with us and Alan Cawley is live in studio. Tony, we're going to take a look back at the action and we're going to start with the Spurs. And last Friday, myself and Alan were wondering what kind of a Spurs team was going to turn up just because we hadn't seen them for quite some time and they equipped themselves pretty well. 
a Spurs team with uh, Tangi and Dombele, <laughs> Delhi Ali and uh, and Harry Winks in midfield is not a Spurs team I expected to get uh, any result at all. Um, and maybe you know, in in a strange way, those games that they had called off might have helped them because I honestly do believe that 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 schedule is absolutely punishing uh, and doesn't uh, bring the best out of players but uh, Son and Kane um, were, were linked again and, and, and did well together uh, and the Spurs uh, back five if you like um, did okay as well surprised me as a, as a, as a Tottenham fan as you know uh, Liverpool missing important players Van Dijk in particular I suppose because without him they, they always look their high line always looks a little bit vulnerable uh, but I have to say it was one of the most entertaining maybe the, the game of the season so far would you go along with that Alan? Absolutely Tony yeah I thought Spurs were really good I thought they were very very good and um, you mentioned a three in midfield there and up to now they've obviously been playing Skip and Hoiberg who I think are so limited and don't help them at all and the question mark around the three that he named yesterday was always their attitude and obviously Deli Ali was there was reports there a couple of weeks back that he'd be going out and loan and Dombele hasn't done much since he's obviously a big money signing but again I would question his attitude I've always liked Harry Winks and I felt he was harshly treated by the previous manager so as you say Tony when I looked at that midfield the three of them are probably the, the most technical best three midfield players that they have but it was always their attitude but yesterday I thought their attitude was first class and again I think that comes back to the manager in the sense that Conte is getting a bit of a tune out of them now he's obviously very demanding very passionate what we see on the line and I thought Spurs when you think of the job he's done the games up to now that he's won are teams that you would expect him to beat but that was a big test I know Liverpool are missing three or four of their best players but they still had a very strong team out and I thought Spurs will be very very disappointed that they didn't take the three points and there's so much for Conte to build on there's still a disappointment though um, when you look at Tongi and Dombele remain Spurs' most expensive signing. Uh, in this house here, Santa brought a, a, an Ndombele jersey a couple of years, a couple of Christmases ago, and waiting for him to be a superstar. He has it in him. You saw the vision in that pass that led to Harry Kane's goal. He has ability, but he doesn't. He doesn't seem fit enough, or he doesn't seem interested enough for long enough. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I think if 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 Conte can't get a tune out of him, he needs to be shipped out of the club no 100% uh, Tony because I, I w- the match I've seen him live was Man United and he was warming up in front of us and I said here on the show he was an absolute disgrace his attitude and then when he came on it didn't improve much further either and you're 100% right he just hasn't delivered and it's purely down to his attitude we all know the ability he has Mourinho couldn't get the tune out of him obviously Nuno so as you say he's in last chance saloon but I think that's a reflection yesterday of the performance that we've seen of just what Conte demands and we all know he's a brilliant manager and even Deli Ali's in last chance saloon as well and it's no good doing it one week he is he needs to deliver now off the back of that brilliant performance but I do think Spurs I always felt when Conte came in um, that he would shape them up and, and give them a bit of a kick up the backside that they needed because there's very good players there and um, they just need to carry on the form that they're showing The thing about Deli Ali, in my view without question there's a player in him you know and the stats back that up because you know you will find that uh, he ten- tends to have you know he's either first or second in the amount of uh, yardage, the amount of metres uh, run in a game, uh, the amount of tackles, the amount of uh, key passes. Uh, it's just, I don't know whether it's his personal life and stuff off the field for a long time, uh, but you know, there is a player in there and I think I'd, I'd have more faith in, in Deli Ali uh, coming back into what he once was uh, than in Dombele at this stage. But I do think that Spurs team, uh, you're right about uh, in Dombele and Skip, I think, they're missing an Ericsson. They're missing someone 
a conductor in the middle of the park who can keep the tempo of the game going just keep it moving along uh, and see a pass I mean in the in the in the, in the Luka Modric mould or in the Alan Cawley mould in your, in your best days <laughs> Well it looked like there was a conductor missing full stop in Molyneux because Wolves and Chelsea that wasn't exactly entertaining Alan no, it was a poor game and Chelsea really are struggling at the moment. We mentioned a couple of weeks back that it may be just a blip, but I'd say the form would be concerning at the moment with them because um, that's four games now where they've underperformed. Wolves, to be fair, are very difficult to play against and difficult to beat and um, they've showed that in the games they've played recently against the top teams, but uh, Chelsea and as well, they obviously had COVID cases that Tuchel was very, um, in his interview after the match, he spoke a lot about that and he feels along the same lines as Klopp that maybe there could have been a circuit break for the next couple of weeks because because they have been um, decimated the squad and it was difficult for them but they do have a big squad to cater for it So, uh, but I think their form will concern them at the moment um, because we mentioned all along up to now Ruby and I've been very much in Chelsea's corner thinking that they would be the favourites to go on but the longer this little blip goes on or this little current bad run of form you see Man City the imperious form that they're in Liverpool obviously are very strong and I know they slipped up yesterday but it's looking a little bit like a two horse race at the moment and, and that's bad for the neutrals because I was hoping that we would get one of the best title races that we have seen in a long time with the three of them There's a key game though over Christmas Uh, it's on Sunday the 2nd of January uh, because I've been looking at the fixtures and there aren't that many of them that seem to be that crucial but there are so many of them so how many players will be fit or you could talk the usual kind of yellow cards will be free of suspension or free of Covid but on Sunday the 2nd of January uh, Chelsea home to Liverpool that could be a defining game in in, certainly in in, in the, the championship or whether Manchester City are just going to leap ahead of everyone and go on a go on a procession to the title this year. Yeah, it's hard not to see Man City doing that though, Alan. When you ah. just look at the last couple of games, even unbelievable. Eight, eight games in a row now. I think eight wins, and um, they went on something similar after a poor enough start last year as well. And I think they went unbeaten until March, if you remember back. And obviously, it looks very ominous for the rest of the teams at the moment. But they're just so good, and everybody will talk about Guardiola and the best players. He has the best players, and they've spent all the money. But it's the way they're coached and the way they play, Marie. They're phenomenal, and he's still. When you think of all the natural ability amongst that squad. But he still gets even more out of the ability and what they have in how much he demands from them. And he's just amazing. They're amazing. Newcastle are very poor. I think we should reference the fact as well it was a very poor weekend for referees. Some of the decisions in the games, that one in particular with Newcastle, they should have had a penalty. I don't think it would have made much difference to the final result, but they should have had a penalty. You look at the decisions in the Liverpool game as well. Liverpool were harshly treated. I felt Kane should have been sent off. They should have had a penalty with Diego Jota as well. So I think the referees, uh, more so than the players, over the weekend had the poorest probably weekend in a what long about, time what about the Salah handball that said, said the Spurs fan in the corner <laughs> 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 what about the Kante handball says the Wolves fan exactly. that, we don't, that, we, that we don't know across the, the <laughs> does anyone know a Wolves fan <laughs> oh I do I do hi Andrew yeah <laughs> Uh, but I thought the referees were very very poor over the weekend and the VAR referees as well not just the referees on field you look at the decisions where um, Chris Cavan I think was one of them Craig Pawson was another VAR referee Uh, but particularly the Liverpool match I thought Paul Tierney was absolutely shocking on Sunday What about Klopp's reaction though Tony did he go a bit too far afterwards? Yeah he did there's no question about it and I think uh, you know approaching the referee like that uh, this time the 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 microphones on the pitch uh, managed to pick him up as well and you know that's intimidation of an official that, I don't think that would be allowed happen in other sports um, and he got a yellow card but maybe he should have maybe he should have uh, been, been sent to the stands 
And just before we let you go, gentlemen, obviously the January transfer window is coming. I know City were incredible, but how many players exactly Alan you first did Newcastle need to buy? About 12. <laughs> Tony, I'd be for keeping a keeper. That was about it now from what I watched at the weekend. Oh, I, I didn't think he was great, to be honest. No, I, I, wouldn't. I wouldn't have him either. No, no. I mean, gosh, uh, you know, we, we, we've we've seen a keeper on the up and the man who won the RT Young Sports uh, Star Award. I know you were talking about Rachel earlier, but Gavin Bazunu, what, what a, an outstanding prospect he is. Uh, and I think he's ready to, to go at a, at a higher level now. Uh, but it, it looks to me like Newcastle are on the way down. There's, there's no great goodwill for them, is there? Um, but that's interesting as well with regard to all these fixtures and, you know, if any more have to be postponed. Well, the likes of, um, you know, uh, as far as again, for example, who will be expected to, uh, you know, bring players in in the transfer window because we're, we're led to believe that Conte has been guaranteed that. Uh, then the game against Burnley that was, uh, you know, that was postponed. And if Spurs have, you know, two or three, you know, £40 million pound players extra, that's not fair either, is it? I think what's interesting as well, Ruby, you mentioned the January transfer window upcoming and, of course, Newcastle, they're, they're so poor championship players at best and they look like they will be relegated. I'd worry for Leeds as well. Bielsa has had an absolutely shocking win in terms of his approach last week Man City losing to 7-0 um, which he helped largely in, in his approach but to lose 4-1 at Arsenal as well and something similar with his approach mad stuff absolutely kamikaze stuff in how he goes about it but the interesting thing for me with the January transfer window and obviously we touched on the Covid issues will managers sign players who are not vaccinated because that's a major thing now for me Klopp has already come out and said he won't sign any players that are not vaccinated you look at the data at the moment and the game's over I think around the European leagues in Italy Spain Germany all the players are in the high 90s and none of the games were called off over the weekend whereas you look at the Premier League the fixture cap was decimated over the weekend and they were down in the 60s obviously we spoke to Rob there and I think it's 77% now but that'll be a major issue come January as well in terms of if you want to sign a player would you sign him if he's vaccinated or not vaccinated? Well, there's Alan Can Alan Colley, the vaccination advocate. But Tony, Alan Colley, thanks so much for taking our calls. We're going to take a break. protein cooked chicken breast fillet available in selected stores nationwide game on on 2fm Welcome back. It's now time to turn our attention to rugby. And lucky enough, we did have some games that we will be talking about with Stephen Ferris, who joins us on the line. But first of all, Stephen, a little bit of news today, um, and it's COVID-related. Glenster and Connacht's home games against South African opposition that were fixed for January have already been postponed and also those Munster games that were postponed have been rescheduled as well. We're talking about tricky periods all the time and it seems like we're in one and there's a lot of worry about the European rugby and of course now this URC as well. Just what's your take on, on where we are, Stephen? Uh, I think it's disappointment. Um, obviously, nobody expected all this to, to be happening around this time once again. Um, I, I, I certainly feel that there's going to be huge congestion later on in the season. Um, the whole idea around the United Rugby Championship was to have you know, free weekends during the Six Nations, um, more competitive um, you know, team sheets when they do come together. And I think it's all just going to be thrown together come the end of the season and maybe in Europe and URC. And it's just very, very difficult for everybody. 
it's difficult for the coaches uh, to put plans in place going forward. The strength conditioning staff, they've probably already got their pre-seasons sorted out for, for next year already. That's all going to have to be altered going forward. Um, yeah, and it's, it's just, I think there's just so much confusion about uh, what the outlook is um, for, for the rugby lads. And, um, and it's just game by game, isn't it? Week by week. Uh, you just see in the Premier League, you know, I heard Ruby talking about it earlier. Just, you, know, you just don't know what's around the corner. Um, and yeah, at least we had a few games at the weekend, Emery. At least we had a couple of games at the weekend, but some of them were pretty forgettable. And I'd say that Monster Cast one <laughs> is definitely one of those. Yeah, I, I was sitting watching it and, you know, I was just waiting for a spark. I was just waiting for something to happen. The crowd to get up, you know, a moment of brilliance, something to happen. Like, Munster didn't have one line break in the whole game. You know, it's it's just unheard of down in Thoman Park. You know, 19 points to 13 to 1. Cash were kicking the ball out in the last minute of the game. They they, they were happy enough to go with go home with the losing bonus point. But yeah, they couldn't string, Munster couldn't string any possession together for long periods. Too many errors. Maybe Joey Carberry missing and, you know, Ben Healy coming. We know Ben Healy has got, has got a bit about him. He's a really good kicker, but they lost their shape a little bit in phase play. Um, you know, I know it's been talked about heavily, Ruby, about Johan van Graan and, and what he's doing, you know, heading over to Bath. I don't think the timing of that was, was quite, quite right. And, and in my opinion, like, I'm not sure what, what other people's are, but... You know, for Johan van Graan to go to Bath, it almost feels like it's a step backwards in, in, in his coaching path. But again, that's only a personal opinion. Munster, for me, is a huge, huge club um, with so much history. And uh, yeah, you know, they got the win and that's the most important thing. Nine points uh, in their pool. So they just got to keep on trucking forward. I was actually in the car listening to it and Donald Lenehan was uh, co-commentating and he alluded to that fact that Johan van Graan's decision didn't go down well within the Munster squad and he was kind of alluding to it well that's what I got from listening to him that's the way the players yeah. took it too yeah I, I sort of was um, I, I don't know I just didn't see it coming I don't think anybody's seen it coming um, I almost got the feeling that Johan van Graan had dedicated his future to Munster Rugby um, he was going to be in it for the long haul that's the kind of feeling that, that I certainly got from, from the camp over the last couple of seasons um, we all know that everything's been so up in the air with COVID, but yeah, it, it just seems like a bit of a strange one. You and I both know that you know money talks, and it doesn't matter what job you're in, if it's a you know a banker walking down the main street in their city, or if it's a professional rugby, money does talk. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out for him. I know he's talking about all focus and emphasis is on Monster Rugby for the next six seven months before he leaves. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to have an effect. Of course, it is. You know. But, uh, uh, the likes of the senior players are going, geez, you know, I didn't see this one coming. Do you think that's why they were so disappointing in terms of performance? People are saying it was, you know, an ugly win, that it was blunt. Is that a direct result of the fact they know that their head coach is leaving? And obviously, like if anybody gets a new job, it's very hard to focus on the job that you're in at the time because you're thinking down the line always. Yeah, it just seemed very flat, didn't it? It, it seemed everything was very flat. Uh, and now all the talk is about getting a new head coach, um, getting someone in with fast experience is going to continue to take this uh, monster team forward. Um, I don't think you can put it all down to Johan Van Graan, you know, telling the players that he's going to leave. Definitely not. There was just uh, too many errors, too many mistakes. Um, you know, the DLND try, I thought it was a try all day long, but the, the TMO said there was a little bit of separation uh, and he didn't award it. And Castro, you know, 
Um, Simon Mecca, who was playing in the back row for Cast, made 10 tackles. Like, the highest tackle count was 10 tackles, usually in a European game at Thurman Park, you're making nearly 20, double that. So it just shows you that it was a very stop-start, lethargic game and, um, you know, just one that they maybe draw a line in the sand. Yeah, I think we'll move to a game we'd actually like to talk about. And I thought Ulster were very good against Northampton. I'm I sure you, you thought the say, same. I thought you were going to say Connacht, really. I enjoyed that game too. That was spectacular. We'll get to them in a minute. I thought they showed great spirit. But we'll start with Ulster first. Um, bonus point win. They looked home and hose. A few sloppy errors in defence. Maybe let Northampton half back into it. Yeah, it was 19-6 after 20 minutes. A few really good tries. Um, I think Jim Jim and Ethan McElroy... You know, playing in the, in the outside centre and uh, on the wing, you know, both played really solid games. And then Stuart McCluskey went off injured, and they just sort of lost a little bit of direction. He's such an important player for them, um, overlooked uh, as, as we all know by, by Ireland quite a bit over the last decade. But he brings so much to the Ulster side. He went off injured. Then another injury concern. You know, the Six Nations isn't that far away. It's only around the corner. Ian Henderson went off injured yet again. So, yeah, it's, uh, it was one of those nights where you thought it was going to be 50 or 60 points after 20 minutes, and then Northampton sort of knuckled down. When, when you have players like Courtney Laws, Tom Wood, and, and Ludlam in the back row, they're not going to roll over, and they got their way back in, just kept kicking over the penalties. And of course, they got a, a try at the, at the very last, and maybe a, light, a little controversial um, penalty try awarded for Ulster as well in there So, but I tell you what both sides came and played a bit of rugby and it was a really entertaining game to watch Dan McFarland said it's a little bit too early to speculate on the extent of the injuries suffered by McCluskey and Henderson but he did definitely sound concerned so Dwayne Vermeulen how do you think he's fitting in? <laughs> he was quality he was so good um, Nick Timoney got star of the match I don't know what it's called these days I think it's star of the match for European rugby um, but I thought Dwayne Vermeulen deserved it. The way he got over the ball, some really crucial turnovers. He's a brilliant line-out option, uh, a, a good leader. There was a couple of times the scrum was retreating at a, at a rate of knots in the second half, and just his experience, like he was able to go in with his big paws and just pick that ball up and actually get Ulster over the gain line when they were very, very close to giving away a penalty at the scrum. and. Now, if you've been in that situation myself and it's very easy to knock it on or, or, or get it stuck between your feet. So, yeah, he just uh, oozes that little bit of class that maybe Ulster have been missing to, to get them over the winning line to win some silverware. But, yeah, sitting second, nine points in Pool A. I know we've got Claremont at home, Northampton away. Northampton are more or less out of the competition. But Claremont at home, there's going to be so much riding on that uh, because it's going to be very, very tight. But do you think Billy Byrne should have kicked the last penalty and made sure Northampton were out of the competition rather than kicking it off the park? Uh, no, no, like Northampton are only sitting on one point. I, I just can't see um I just can't see Northampton. You know, they're passing away from home. Uh, I, I just can't see them get getting in. And too much focus will be put back into the Gallagher Premiership. We all know the way the English teams work. If they're not in the in for the hunt, then they'll, they'll, they'll revert back to their domestic league and make sure that all emphasis is put in that. Obviously then, Connacht were playing against the team in the Gallagher Premiership, Leicester away, who got two quick tries in around the 20-minute mark, Leicester, and Le Connacht looked to be struggling, but a couple of intercepts and they kept fighting, didn't they? Yeah, they kept fighting, and like just looking at all the stats, like Connacht played a lot of rugby, 400-plus running metres, six clean breaks, but only the two tries to show for 
for all their hard work and effort. Um, just a few penalties at, at crucial times, a few missed tackles, like they slipped off a, a number of tackles, but it was great to see Bundyaki back um, beating defenders for fun. John, John Ports had a, a fantastic game also. Uh, and you know what? Like that last minute, Jack Hardy dropped goal. He's playing brilliant stuff, 100% off the kick and tee once again. 24 points landed in two games in, in Europe. Uh, you know, sitting on six points, they're fourth in Pool B. We know that there's Toulouse and Bristol still have games in hand, and they will drop down a little bit. But with the format this year, they're giving themselves a chance, and that's all Andy Friend, I'm sure, wants. Okay, well, Stephen Ferris, thank you for all of that, and we will check in with you after the Christmas. Hopefully, we'll have plenty of rugby to talk about, but who knows? Now, before we head for a break, just a word on the situation with the Irish women's rugby team earlier today. A delegation which included Kira Griffin, the former Irish women's captain, met with Minister Catherine Ryan and Minister of State Jack Chambers to discuss the current issue in the women's game following their letter that was sent last week on behalf of Irish women's rugby. They released a statement and they said that it was very positive and constructive and they're awaiting the next steps in the process and look forward to making some progress in the new year and we will be following that and just a word as well on Mona McSherry. She won a bronze medal today in her favourite event, the 100 metre breaststroke final at the World Short Course Swimming Championships in Abu Dhabi. Anyone who has been following Mona's exploits over there, she's just been breaking records for fun so it's great to see her get that bronze medal. We're going to take a very quick break now and then we're back with racing. Game on on 2FM With Green Farm Fuel your day the healthy way With Green Farm's on-the-go chicken bites 100% natural and packed with protein Available in selected Tesco's nationwide Game on racing well, we're delighted to be joined on the line now By Leperstown CEO Tim Husbands Tim, you've had a Busy weekend, to put it mildly, trying to fit 6,000 people into five, but somehow you've managed to do it. Yeah, we, we saw it as a great challenge, you think, Ruby, even Marie. Uh, yeah, um, when we got the announcement from government, they obviously the, the initial reaction is, oh my goodness, uh, are we going to have to disappoint anybody? And we decided not to take that knee-jerk reaction and, and put a measured response together, working uh, over the weekend with our commercial partners, stakeholders, our ticket holders, hospitality clients trying to work out the balance of who was going to come who wasn't going to come because obviously there was that mix of uh, mix of people who actually didn't want to come anymore against those that uh, wanted to maintain their interest and by balancing all of those requirements uh, we have actually reached a position whereby uh, we can guarantee that those who have already purchased a ticket for the Leopardstown Christmas Festival will be able to attend so we're honoring all of our commitments or able to do so uh, safely and within the government guidelines. You're probably the envy of many geek team being able to do that, that that easily and that quickly. But look, obviously racing is predominantly an outdoor sport, but for you at Leopardstown, you would have a huge corporate sector as well. How has that been affected? Yeah, it has. I suppose that's been the most vulnerable uh, section of it because obviously the, the, the corporate market, uh, a lot of them aren't actually in the office anymore. Um, so they've really gone away and had a look at the entertaining that they were going to do over the Christmas festival, and that's one of the areas uh, that has been affected. Those that are more family-based have been uh, able to maintain their interest, but I have to say that the from the corporate side, uh, the sponsors have been fabulous with us. They've worked really hard with us. They've continued to uh, give us their, their patronage. Uh, people like Savills are continuing their investment with us in the Savile 
at Chabot Stakes, and then you have a new sponsor in Jordan Engineering sponsoring the Christmas hurdle. So I think we're blessed in that we have that mix of sponsors that are both corporate uh, but also industry-based. So, Tim, it's obviously a time when everything is really uncertain and the future is really uncertain as well. We don't know what's ahead of us. And just from your point of view, how concerning is that, being in a situation where you, you can't really map out the next little while, even the, le- the, the future long term? Yeah, it, it, it's really concerning, Marie, because we're, we've been running for about 18 months, almost behind closed doors the whole time, uh, missing out on the, the commercial opportunities that our big festivals bring. And having the Christmas festival is fantastic have being able to deliver it for 5,000 and continuing the tradition of the Christmas festival. But it, it is a large part of our business. And in the same way, the Dublin Racing Festival in February will be a large part of our business. So we're kind of caught in no man's land as to how big and how small we can get. So we, we do plan for most eventualities. We had planned originally for 10,000. Uh, we'd voluntarily taken back uh, our, our, our capacity and then we've worked towards a much smaller capacity. And what about supports then from the government? Do you feel like you're being supported enough in what is a really tricky time for you? No, I think actually Horse Racing Ireland and the IHRB have done a fantastic job in maintaining the integrity of the of the racing industry. We're just a, a part of it. There are nearly 20, 29,000 people working within the horse racing industry and the race courses are, are such an integral part so that they can uh, they can show off their horses and the jockeys and the owners can get involved. So it, 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 it's, a, it's a big food chain of which we're a very important part uh, and I think the government have done very well to maintain the industry uh, when so many other industries have suffered so much more badly. Well, 5,000 people will feel like an awful lot compared to last year, Tim, but what can race scores expect? Will you have plenty of outdoor bars, outdoor food, kios- food kiosks? Will you be aiming to keep as many of that 5,000 as you can outside and safe? Yeah, we will do. It's very much an outdoor experience. We've got a, a, a very large marquee, similar to the one we had for Champions Weekend, uh, where there will be bars that obviously you're queuing on the outside. There's plenty of shelter. There's a winter market there with stalls and activities and, and crafts. There will be a lot of indoor spaces available on, on a managed table basis where you can get in if it happens to be uh, cold or wet or miserable uh, to, to, to get that space. But generally, the food and the bars operations are outside. Well, that's great news, Tim. I hope you have a successful Christmas and I hope the restrictions move on January 30th before the Dublin Racing Festival and we can get a lot more in for that extravaganza. The last thing I would say, uh, Ruby, is that just to re-emphasise, there are no additional tickets available anymore and there are no tickets available on the day because usually we'd have about 70-80% of racegoers coming on the day and we obviously need to try and protect that. Well, I would should have asked you that question, Tim, because I've often wondered would racing ever be a ticket-only event and it is now for bizarre reasons, but maybe that's a step in the right direction for the future. Yeah, I think so. I think it's actually helping to change the culture. It happens with all other sports for, for, the, for the most important festivals. And hopefully this has given us a better opportunity of managing that in the future. With a better look. Tim Husbands, thanks a million for taking our call. Thanks very much indeed, Ruby. Game on racing. Now, so this is the last time we're going to hear from Ruby before Christmas. And no doubt, Well, Ruby. I am on Thursday, Marie, but we're doing highlights of the year. Okay, this is the last time I'm going to talk to you on air before Christmas. Yeah. So I want all the, the tips. 
what's coming tips. up. Racing. Unfortunately, we're a little bit early for all the tips, but look, there is some great racing, especially on Stevens' day um, between Leperstown and Kempton. Obviously, in Kempton, you've got the King George, you have uh, Clandes Obo, Frodo, and for Paul Nichols, Manila Indo for. Henry the Bromhead and Rachel Blackmore, Asterian Falange is going as well. So, you know, that'll be a cracking race. It was a, a place I often was on Stevens's day and this year's King George looks like a cracking renewal as well. On the King George Ruby, and there's one horse you didn't mention there and coming off the back of the weekend that Nicky Henderson is after having, would you fancy Chantry House? He definitely has a chance. I think he's novice for him, Alan. He needs to improve a little bit on it, and it's a hard race to win first time up. I know I won five of them on, on Cotto Star, but he'd had a run every year gone. He, he didn't try and win it uh, first time out. And when you're taking on, you know, Clandice Oba will be trying the first time as well, but Frodan will run under his belt, and Manila Indo, and last year for launch. It'll be a big ask for those horses that haven't had a run. Not impossible, but a huge ask. Yeah, I know, because I was just reading some quotes from Nicky Henderson today and just saying how well he's going. And obviously, as I say, the form, the stable are in. And I thought Champ was so impressive at the weekend. I thought he was brilliant. Yeah, he was impressive. And obviously, on the 28th, the Irish horses will get a chance to reply to Champ in the Christmas hurdle. You know, Flooring Porter, who won last year's stairs hurdle. And he'll take on Classical Dream. And Gordon Elliott's on about stepping Abacadabra up to three miles. So yeah, that could be an interesting one with him. He's a high-class horse. And if he gets the trip, he most certainly has the speed for, for the other horses. What is it, Ruby, with... Um, obviously, we, he, didn't, he never ran a race, really, in the Gold Cup, but do you think he's better over hurdles, champ, um, than maybe over fences? He looked at it at the weekend. I mean, John John rode him for the first time. He beat Time Hill, who was a good winner at Aintree last year. But, yeah, look, he had obviously had issues in the Gold Cup because he was beaten after jumping... Well, one fence, he pulled up quite early, but his race was over at the back of the first. But, yeah, he's an RSA winner. He had a good run over two miles in Newbury, over fences as well, but he did, definitely looked happier over hurdles. He's not a young horse either. He's nine rising ten, and I think the staying hurdle division, Alan, looks weaker than the Gold Cup division. So, if he was mine, that's the road I'd be going with him. OK, and on Friday, did we see the Supreme winner, potentially? John Bond. He was very good. Um yeah, he's definitely sets the standard. He's on about done about him giving him one more run somewhere in February, probably before he goes to Cheltenham for the Supreme. But look, he's Duvan's full brother. He was very impressive at the weekend. But I think over the course of the Christmas period in Leperstown and Limerick, and even into the early New Year with Fairy House and Nace, I think we'll see some potential stars emerge in Ireland. I hope. So, Ruby, what are you looking on. forward to most? I think Enner Grameen in the Paddy's, uh, Paddy's Reward Club chase on the 27th. I thought he was brilliant at Cork. He, he'd be he'd be exceptional. And the Savills would be a great race as well at Plutar, Galvin. I think Protect Rat might come over from the UK. You've Ken Boy and Delta Work. It's always a great race in the Savills. Uh, will be a good one, Marie, I hope. Okay. That is all we have time for. We Well, I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Ruby, have a great Christmas. Thank you, Marie. Same to you. Happy Bye. Christmas, Ruby. Marie. Cheers, Al. Same to you. Connor Bean is up next. Dinners made easy with Green Farm's high-protein cooked chicken breast fillet range. Available in selected stores nationwide. Two.